It is time to blast off inside the kennel. And now, here is the Tomahawk Missile himself, Vin Dog Radio. website over 1.7 billion downloads to date of the podbean app please download the podbean app right now and like and subscribe to the podcast inside the kennel you can also find us on amazon music apple podcast google podcast spotify iHeartRadio, all over the place and also tune in radio and wherever you download podcast Please do like and subscribe to the Kittle Podcast with myself, Vin Dog Radio, and Money Ben Production. Please follow us and like and subscribe to us on our YouTube channel at Money Bin Productions with the Z. That's Money Bin Productions with the Z. With the Z. And also on Rumble at Money Bin Productions. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an action-packed show for you. We're going to talk about uh, the recall. Gavin Newsom should be out of here in no time. It's going to be exciting to see Gavin Newsom gone. Wouldn't you like that? I would. It's going to be exciting. And we have Mr. Alvin Strand live coming up in the next segment. Yes, indeed. He's going to talk baseball and he's going to talk his brand new book. And you got to go and check it out at alvinstrain.com. S-T-R-A-N-E.com. Alvinstrain.com. Buy the book. It is called The Jersey. You're going to love this interview because we talk baseball. We talk life and the human element of the book. It's going to be fun, ladies and gentlemen. And coming up on future episodes. We have a man that's running for Congress uh, for San Jacinto, California. Well, he's going to represent California in Washington. His name is Pastor Brian E. Hawkins. He's going to be on a show. We have James Cadiz coming up in the future shows and many more guests. So you got to keep it right here inside the kennel. Please share this with friends and family and etc. and so forth. And we want to see a big rest in peace to our man, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. He passed away, and there's a lot of conspiracies surrounding the man's death. And it's nuts what is going on in this country and in the world. And Gavin Newsom, you are done. You are in the toaster oven. California's tired of you. We don't want you anymore. And I don't know why people voted for you anyway, because I knew about your past. You ruined San Francisco. So what makes you think you weren't going to ruin California? Well, um, my wife even said that you were going to be worse than Jerry Brown. And I felt the same way. And Scary Brown was terrible, but you topped the cake when you destroyed the economy of California during the pandemic. You did not have to shut the entire state down. Look at Florida. They are thriving, and the numbers are practically almost the same, but ours are a little bit higher. Uh-huh. Oh, man, this is going to be exciting. So... It has been a year since the shutdown has happened, and they told us we needed 15 days to flatten the curve. Let's get this news out of the way, because I want to get to Mr. Alvin Strain on the other side. I have a piece for you of all these media sucka-duckas telling us we need 15 days to flatten the curve. Sucker deuce trace. Listen to these numbskulls in panic mode last year. Well, what you're talking about is our 15 days to stop the spread initiative. If we can get America to all pitch in for the next 15 days, we can flatten the curve, which is a term that you've been hearing a lot, Doink. not overwhelm our healthcare systems. That's a surge of cases, so you need to stretch it out. Self-quarantine for 14 days. Stay at home as much as possible. Stay home. Stay home. People should not be walking around with masks. There's no reason Lieutenant to be with a mask. And the fundamentals are not rocket science. It's oh my gosh. universal wearing of masks. Masks are very important. For me, it's easy because I have a lot of masks. This is okay. Just try to focus on the positive. Face diapers. 
like a kind and thoughtful person. Wear a mask. Wear a mask all the time. And if you don't, you are a selfish mother ass. Growing number of confrontations over wearing masks. She's the tearful mom who was booted from a plane after her two-year-old daughter just would not wear a mask. You put another layer on, it just makes common sense. Two masks are indeed better than one. Double masking, as it's called. A three-layer mask could block up to 90%. The thing that'll get us back is the vaccine. No miracle is coming. Our nation has achieved a medical miracle. We have delivered a safe and effective vaccine in just nine months. Once you're able to get the shot, you will still need to wear a mask. Dosing a first dose without a second dose available, that's just not in the label. We have to do a double dose, right? How significant it is for Americans to receive both doses. You have had your second vaccine shot. We will issue further guidance on what you can and cannot do once fully vaccinated. If we do our part, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout or a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups. Small groups, hey, Josephina! My goodness! They told us this nonsense for a whole year, a whole year, 15 days to flatten the curve. And it took more than a year. Supposedly, they lied to us. It's crazy. These people are sick and you voted for these numbskulls and you watch these idiots on left wing television on the flower vision, as I like to call these networks. Yes, indeed. I'm calling you idiots out because you're nothing but a bunch of flower baiting numbskull fruitcakes. International House of Fruitcakes. That's what the White House is right now. I am so upset with all of you idiots for giving up this false information just so they can pull off their own agenda. The, the agenda was to screw the average small man, woman, and child. That's what this was all about, to destroy the small business communities and to destroy the being of people. Yes, they wanted to break your backs, America. They wanted to make you submit to them. Oh, yes, the government tells us what to do. Stop it. The face diapers didn't work. I love getting ticked off. I love talking crap. And you know what? I normally don't play compliments to CNN Communist News Network, but I got to tell you, Jay Tapper, he made Gavin Newsom answer this question about going to the restaurant. Listen to this. It's been observed that the recall petition had only around 50,000 signatures until you infamously attended that dinner with multiple other households at that fancy restaurant, French Laundry or whatever it's called, a birthday <laughs> party for a lobbyist, no less, all while you were telling Californians that they should be staying at home. So with about 50, 55,000 signatures before you had that dinner, then a month later, that 50,000 signatures had become something like 500,000. Now, I know, Governor, you have apologized for that dinner. You called it a mistake to go. But what I was wondering at the time, and I don't think you've answered, what on earth were you thinking? I'll tell you what he was thinking. Absolutely not about the people. He's a criminal czar. He's a dictator. He's a POS. He's good for nothing. He's nothing. He is the son of the devil, the nephew of Satan's niece, Nancy Pelosi. He is a pompous joke. But go ahead. Answer, screwball. Well, as a friend of, of over a quarter of a century, he's having his 50th birthday. Restaurants were open in the state. I wasn't suggesting people should not eat where I was wrong, and I've owned this, and I've held myself to a higher level of accountability, even my critics, is there were too many people at the table, and that was a mistake. At the end of the day, though, this recall petition was aided not just by that, was aided by a judge who also ultimately doubled the amount of time that they could get this recall supported and uh, ultimately on the ballot. And they uh, received almost $3 million of money, some coming from uh, different parts of the country, not just from the state of California. So at the end of the day, it's complicated as to why this is on, but that's not determinative. Wait a minute, that's not determinative? Shut the hell up, dude. You know what, Gavin? Why don't you just go and stuff yourself? Yourself, 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 yourself. yourself. 
California doesn't want you. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. So guess what? Stuff yourself in a freezer or in an oven somewhere and just fade away. One governor. One state. To put to total disaster. The Joker's nephew. His aunt has a pullback face like no other. Ladies and gentlemen, Gavin Bubblehead, Red Eye Philanthropist, Satanistic Idiot, Scroosome. Yeah, bro. I don't like you. And I never will. May God forgive me for what I'm about to say. Go and shove yourself. This is the Kennel Podcast. Back with Mr. Alvin Strand. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And I had to get that off my chest. This is a Money Bin production right here on Podbean.com. You freaking cockroach. Back in a minute, sucker. Back in a minute. More with the street shooter himself right after this. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Vindog Radio. He shoots straight from the hip. And if you don't like it, go and stuff yourselves. Back to the kennel with Mr. Keeping It Real himself, Vindog Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Kittle Podcast. Myself, Vindog Radio here. Now, I'm going to tell you, today is one of the most glorious days in history on this podcast. I've had lots of guests, but I have never had a guest that I'm having right now, Mr. Al Strain. How are you, sir? Well, hey, it's great to be with you, and thank you so much for that introduction. <laughs> My pleasure. So, now, you have this awesome book called The Jersey, and uh, a couple of people have, uh, you know, rendered me, yes. Now, that's a beautiful book. And there's a lot of good stuff in there that people should uh, read. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think people should pick up the book. And it's and it's available right now, isn't it? Uh, it no question about it. It's available at all of their uh, book retailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would encourage them to go to my website, mm-hmm. Alvin Strange. Dot com. Yes, it's AlvinStrain.com, ladies and gentlemen. AlvinStrain.com, and you'll see the virtual book launch as well as the podcast. And we have a uh, we have a, our own bookstore. Mm-hmm. And I would if you're interested in a uh, an autograph copy, uh, I'm the one that will autograph it, and I'm the one that will put it in the mail to you. So <laughs> I would uh, would appreciate that. Yes, sir. Now I understand you have quite a history. Going from baseball, well, actually, I should say starting from baseball to the automotive industry. Can we dabble into that? Because we got a lot of time. (laughs) No question, and I appreciate it. Well, um, originally, uh, growing up in Oakland, California, and playing in all the youth leagues in Oakland, Mm -hmm. uh, was fortunate enough to be scholarshiped at uh, St. Elizabeth High School and. Uh, my twin brother and I then uh, were scholarshiped on an athletic scholarship to the University of Santa Clara, Santa Clara, California, and mm-hmm. uh, participated there on the varsity level for four years, Division One. And uh, after our high school uh, career, we were drafted by the San Francisco Giants in the first amateur draft in 1965. Okay. On to University of Santa Clara. And uh, after our sophomore year at the University of Santa Clara, was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers, which I think so. Our head scout, Red uh, Red Adams, Red Red Adams, was our head scout, and I'll tell you a little story about that as we go along. But uh, uh, my mother, who was very instrumental in our lives as a single single parent. Uh, she encouraged us and she insisted that we get an education mm-hmm. and that baby be there. And boy, was she right. So uh, we uh, completed our four years and it was drafted by the uh, then uh, Seattle Pilots, uh, which lasted all of, a, of one year. They went bankrupt and all the players and the bats were sold uh, to the Milwaukee Brewers. And 
Um, they were insufficiently funded as well, but uh, played one additional year, so two years in the minor leagues, and uh, then had to get a real job. And uh, uh, was fortunate enough to um, uh, land with General Motors with the Pontiac Division in 1972. And after a 32-year career with General Motors on the sales and the marketing side, moving 16 times across the country, uh, numerous locations, I've been there. Uh, a great career, thoroughly enjoyed it. The associations and the friendships are, uh, were uh, certainly something that have stayed with me all these years. And then went on to do some consulting on the automotive side for another nine years. So now I'm retired, a writer, and enjoying it uh, with my new bride. Uh, uh, both of us are widowers, and we met on the golf course four years ago. And we, matter of fact, we just walked nine. So oh my goodness! Blessed life, no question about it. But, yes, uh, sir. Career with General Motors. Uh, I became the first uh, black executive in sales and marketing for the Pontiac division in uh, 1987. So. But I retired from General Motors in 2004 and then did consulting work on the automotive side for another 10 years. Yeah. So from what you've seen in the automotive industry, how much has it changed as far as evolving is concerned? Well, it's 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 changed a bit, not only the product, uh, but what is happening is the total customer experience. Uh, many of the products out there are, are pretty consistently and pretty good. All right. Mm -hmm. And I would just the customer experience that one would have, whether that be um, a physical touch in a in in a dealership or uh, telephonically uh, through the Internet in the way of a purchase. But you do have to come into the dealership to get a service. And that's uh, that is the touch point that makes the difference. So, yeah, the, the industry has evolved. Uh, now you're getting into more um, uh, autotomics where vehicles are able to drive themselves. Um, a lot of electronic vehicles are now, the market penetration is increasing on that. So yeah, it is rapidly changing, no question about it. Okay, so this book, The Jersey, and mm -hmm. I, I think we should talk a little bit in detail about it, but we don't want to give away too much because I want people to pick it up. But can we oh, no. can we get like a quick synopsis of it so that everybody can be abrased before purchasing? I appreciate that. And I would say this. Um, in 2004, I was in uh, Manhattan in New York and walked past a newsstand. And I saw in the upper left hand column of the Wall Street Journal of June 30th, uh, 2004. And the article was entitled Mystery Was William Edward White first major league baseball player. Well, as a ex-professional baseball player and somewhat of an amateur um, uh, historian myself, I said, who in the heck is William Edward White? I mean, I knew of, obviously of Jackie Robinson coming into the league in 1947 and the Fleetwood brothers and uh, you know all, the, all that transition, but never heard of William Edward White. So I picked up the newspaper, uh, read the article and something just clicked uh, just in a matter of moments. I, in my mind, mind's eye, I developed a storyline uh, based on the actual event that occurred, um, a storyline that had a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that didn't change for 14 years as it took me to write the book. But it's a great story. It's a very humanistic story. Uh, the event that actually took place uh, was in 1879, and a gentleman, young young man born as a slave in Milner, Georgia. Uh, the slave owner um, sent him to boarding school in Providence, Rhode Island, and he went on to attend Brown University in 1877. And in 1879, in his junior year, he's a, he's a baseball player, first baseman. Brown University won at that time, which would have been the Division One. Uh, national championship in 1879, uh, in, the, in the spring of 1879. And in that summer, he attended a Major League Baseball game be, uh, between the Cleveland Blues, okay, and the Providence Grays of the National League, MLB, in Providence, Rhode Island. And just prior to the game, 
uh, the first baseman for the uh, for the Providence Grays breaks his ankle. Uh, they did not have another first baseman on the roster. It was a midseason game. And uh, they looked up in the stands and saw this young man. And they knew he had just played for Brown in the spring. Uh, they pulled him out of the stands and actually uh, signed him to a one-day contract. Wow. He played game, got four bats, one hit, fielded 12 ground balls successfully. And that is all fact in the annals of baseball history. So um, I'm, that is the true event. From the time that game finishes, I spend a fictional uh, story in and around baseball, in and around a humanistic story, or in and around a love that takes place, a love, a budding love story, in and around a mystery story, and a story that uh, has uh, some very dynamic heroes in it. And they even have a dog hero in the story. Mm. So I don't hang out. It's, it's a really, I, I would say, a compelling story uh, that it's a, it's a quick read, an easy read. Um, I wrote it as if, in my mind's eye, it was a, a movie uh, or even uh, a, uh, a theatrical production. So that's how I wrote it, and that's, that's how it reads. It does have dialogue and that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, and for what I take from the book, I believe that this should be in the curriculum in schools for all children around the country instead of all the nonsense that they're being taught right now. Well, let, let's say this. Anytime that you can bring light on a subject, uh, and the, the interesting thing about William Edward White, uh, his father, uh, Captain A.J. White, was a uh, captain in the Confederate Army. Uh, he was very wealthy, had 70 slaves in Nola, Georgia. He, uh, uh, had, uh, he was a railroad industrialist. And what he would do in Georgia, he would buy parcels of land and then run the railroad through uh, those parcels of land. So he was very much of an industrialist. And matter of fact, there's a town in Georgia called Whitesville, and that is named after Captain A.J. White. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, a little history lesson for you there, and you can check oh, yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's say this. In the book, uh, in the book, uh, I made a trip not only to the grave site of Captain A.J. White in Milner, Georgia, at the Baptist Church, Milner Baptist Church, but my wife and I, Ramona, we made a trip to um, Chicago, uh, Elmwood Cemetery, where actually William Edward White is buried. So I do have uh, a mixture of a fictional and actual factual story. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about uh, your history uh, playing uh, for the Dodgers in the minor leagues for a couple of years. And I'm pretty sure yeah. you've rubbed some elbows with some pretty cool people there. Well, it, let's say this. It, it, we played actually with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I'll tell you the reason we didn't play for the Dodgers. I'll tell you this. Okay. And, and I, my mom was such a sweetheart lady. She passed in 2013. And I the book is dedicated uh, to her as well. Uh, my mom, when we were drafted by the Dodgers, uh, that would have been in 1967. Um, and and it, again, at that point in time, that would have been a nice piece of change coming into one family uh, with a single parent. But my mom said, it's more important for you to finish your education. And uh, that summer, in the summer of uh, 1967, uh, my twin brother Albert and I were, uh, we had committed to go to uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. And Fairbanks, Alaska was a um, amateur college team, premier college team in the country. And we were representing that summer uh, the United States in Japan. So we were doing a series uh, in Japan. Um, so she said, you made a commitment, you should do it. When you get back from Alaska, uh, if the opportunity is still there uh, and they're going to pay for the, your balance of your college, then I'll consider it. Okay. So we got back, went to uh, Japan, played in Japan, got back. And then the scouts, uh, we got in touch with the Dodgers. And the scout says, well, you know, it won't be the same money because uh, we signed two other individuals uh, to replace your brother and I, your brother and you and your brother. I said, well, well who were they? 
He says, well, one one fellow's from your hometown of Oakland. His name is uh, Leondis Lacey. I said, oh, yeah, he's a good player. He's a good player. He said, and well, the other one was Davey Lopes. I said, who in the heck is Davey Lopes? <laughs> so, uh, they, they just knew what they were doing. They got two, two outstanding. And both Davey Lopes and Leondis Lacey had outstanding major league careers. But, but I, I guess one of my interesting stories relative to the opportunity to play baseball in college and use it, and pro ball, the people that you meet. Uh, when I was at the University of Santa Clara, uh, we had two brothers that for the four years we were there played on the baseball team, and that was my brother and I. But whenever there was a black athlete that would, um, uh, that the university was trying to recruit, whether it be basketball, football, and we didn't recruit any baseball players, uh, they would uh, give, we, they called it pizza money to keep us out of, out of harm's way with the NC2A. So they would give us pizza money, and we would take the route out and show a good time. Well, this one year, this young fellow comes in from Sacramento, California, kind of a tall lad. They were recruiting to be a football player, and I think a tight end. And uh, we showed him a great time. Uh, he chose not to come to Santa Clara. He ended up signing uh, in uh, first-round draft pick with the uh, – at that time with the Atlanta Braves. Oh, wow. So now I'm going to spend 17 years later. I'm at Dodger Stadium sitting on the bench with the, uh, watching uh, batting practice because a good friend of mine I grew up with, uh, Von Joshua, uh, we grew up together. He's he's on the roster. He's a backup center fielder behind um, uh, uh, Tommy Davis. Uh, well, Tommy was left fielder, uh, the other Davis. At any event, this guy comes in out of uh, out of left field, sits right next to me. He said, you don't know who I am. I said, well, sure, I know you're Dusty Baker. He says, oh, no. He says, you remember a tall, lanky kid from Sacramento that your brother and took me out? We had a good time at the fraternity house. I said, no, wait, was that you? He said, that was me. So he remembered me, and I didn't remember him. <laughs> but we, we, rest assured, we didn't know he was, we were, he was a baby. Baseball player, we were recruiting to play football. But Dusty has been a close friend for over 40 years, and and uh, I am so proud of him. And this year, uh, as a manager of the Astros, he only needs, I think, about 82 wins that will get him to 2,000 wins as a major league manager. If that, in fact, occurs, and I feel comfortable with the club he's got, he'll be what I would say a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame as a manager, and he would be the first black manager uh, for the Hall of Fame. So we're rooting for Dusty Baker, yes. manager of the Astros, no question. No and not question. only that, Dusty Baker is a really, really genuinely nice man. And I I yeah. haven't had, had the pleasure to meet him yet, but I've heard from a lot of uh, colleagues that I've worked in the industry with and say, oh, man, you got to meet this Dusty Baker guy. He is just a character guy. He's got a great sense of humor, and he makes you feel like you're at home with him. Oh, well, let's say this. He, he is so gracious. Um, when he was the hitting coach for the San Francisco Giants, jeez, um, I want to say that was the uh, – that had to be in the mid-'80s, I think. Uh, I lived in Philadelphia. I was with General Motors, and I called Dusty Giants when we were playing the Philly. And I hey, Dusty, how you doing? He said, well, fine. He says, how's your sons? I said, well, my, my youngest son uh, is a pretty good ball player, but, man, I'm having a difficulty. He's not hitting that high pitch. He said, hey, a lot of people can't hit that high pitch. He said, well, get him out of school and bring him down to the vet. I'll work him out. I said, Really? So I called my aunt, uh, I said, hey, you got a dentist appointment. He said, I do? I said, yeah, you got a dentist appointment. <laughs> so in any event, so in any event, I get him out of school. We go down to the vet, and uh, Dusty gets him in the cage at the vet. He's in Major League Baseball Park. He's in the Major League dugout. And uh, as soon as before he even takes a swing, Dusty says, can you dance? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, put the bat down. He said, let me see you do some moves here. Let me, let me see something. So whatever he did, he said, okay, now pick the bat. Hitting is reaction. You have to be able to react. You got to be loose. You got to be flexible. Yeah. You got quick response. 
He says, that's how you do it. He said, nothing low keys. He says, I want to get you back in this position. So I want to tell you something. So he worked him out. And then the next week, my my uh, son was playing in a, a game against a uh, it was uh-huh. thing. Russia had a baseball, amateur baseball team that was touring the United States. Every player on the team was a switch hitter. Every player on the team had the same batting stance. It was a weird thing. So then gets up and the guy had pretty good fastball, but he laid one in there with high pitch. Dusty showed him how to get to that high pitch. Oh man. Dusty knew Dusty knew what he was talking about. <laughs> oh yeah. No question about it. No question about it. Man, that is awesome. <laughs> Talk about some yeah. stories you have. That's really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've been blessed, no question. Mm-hmm. And so that so baseball really gave you like a leg up to go into the automotive industry, right? Well, let's say this. More so than that, um, I attended uh, St. Elizabeth High School. And in my book, I have a little story. Um, uh, my twin brother and I, uh, he, uh, up until the ninth grade, which had back then they used to call it the middle school, uh, up until the ninth grade, he was a grade ahead of me. And I'm a, we're identical twins, and I'm the older by six minutes. But I was asthmatic as a young kid and still somewhat asthmatic. So I, I, was, I was a year behind him. But what happened, the baseball coach at a high school called McClyman's High School and the, the athletic director, director and the baseball coach, a gentleman by the name of George Poles, contacted the principal at the middle school, Lowell Junior High, and says, hey, I the boys that come to Mac at the same time. Let's do what we need to do to get out. Uh, skip the ninth grade. <laughs> he said, really? He said, well, we'll see what we can do about that. Well, I took the IQ, IQ test and all the rigmarole, went to summer school, and I skipped the ninth grade. So we were both heading to McClyman's High School the next fall, okay? And then something happened. So you got to read the book to find out what happened. Yes, yes. We didn't go to Mac. Right? <laughs> we didn't go to Mac. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of interesting story. Now, that's a little teaser there, a little teaser. Yeah. Yeah, but baseball, um, what's my man, the comedian said, baseball been very good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has. It has. It's the association. Uh, the game has changed. Uh, interesting enough, just this week, uh, Major League Baseball is going to do some experimentation in starting in the minor leagues. Um, they are going require in double A baseball that all of the infield, all infielders, will have to have their cleats on the dirt uh, prior to pitch. So what they're going to do is attempt to move being in the double A, move that thinking up to the major leagues and get away from all of this, uh, uh, you know, how the analytics are positioning the players. Uh-huh. It's really taking, it's really taking, it's either right now the game is either home run or strikeout. And that's, that's not where they want to go. So there's a lot of things going. They're going to be expanding the size of the base by three inches on each side. That hopefully will that bang bang play will put more offense in the game. Also, they're in um, single A. They're going to have electronic umpires. So Major League Baseball, they're doing some things that uh, they've got to do to stay competitive to be America's pastime. No question. Wow, I heard about that too, and they're going to start it in the West Coast League. Yeah, the West Coast League. Yeah, that is that is one of the premier California league, uh, amateur league. I mean, the uh, uh, single A single A leagues that the players, good players, started. Wow, what a change! And what do you think about? How do you think the umpires are feeling about this? <laughs> well, let's say this. You know, I think I, I'm not. A, I'm more of a purist. I don't think they they need to go to this electronic umpiring. I think that's part of the game. Okay, and players all play this. Okay, you adjust to the strike zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you see an umpire that's given a little bit on the outside of the plate, an inch or inch and a half, you make adjustments. Okay, or if he's given too much of the inside, or if he's calling that pitch is a little bit above the uh, above the belt, then you make adjustments, and that's part of the game. You know. Yeah, because I'm so, afraid that one day. Yeah, I'm afraid that one day the players are going to get upset and want to beat up the electronic umpire. <laughs> well, 
Well, let's say this. Uh, I, I sense that um, there's going to be some disputes. It's kind of like in tennis, you know. You got the Mac cam, and, uh, you know, the Mac cam sometimes not right either. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's how things evolve, how things evolve. Yeah. Um, so now here, here's the thing with me. Um, we discussed earlier that I've been a baseball fanatic since I was born because I don't know. I just mm-hmm. have a love for the sport. I love the game. I, I love what the game has done for a lot of people. And it's not just America's pastime anymore. It's so global now. Baseball is so popular around the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. nobody ever thought, who would have thought in that baseball, America's greatest sport will become so international? Well, you know, I, I tell you something. Um, if you want to take a deep dive in my book, okay, uh, I do some things in the book. Of when you talk about the international standpoint, okay, um, and what's happening on a global basis, uh, I dwell into that quite a bit, okay? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, um, uh, it's kind of interesting, my twin brother had an experience where he took a youth team out of California, uh, 13-year-old uh, kids, uh, to Cuba. And they played in the series. Now, everybody says that, you know, Cuba's got some great ball players, and they do. But what's happening in Cuba is they're developing some really good hitters. But they're, they're pitching, their pitching for the kids is not really developed as much. So our kids from California went over there and had a pretty good series with them uh, with the thought in mind that, hey, these kids play pretty much all day. But uh, it was a great experience. The kids enjoy it. Um, there was a lot of exchange. Uh-huh. They recently did the same thing, taking 15-year-old kids to Curacao. And uh, so it, to get our kids to experience what these kids are doing in these uh, these countries that are certainly not as, as uh, the prosperity is not such in the game is just there. You know, these kids will play play baseball uh, sun up to sundown, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's evolving. Uh, our concern and my concern, um, my passion, along with writing, is I'm involved in youth player development. Uh, my twin brother and I, uh, we give back a uh, player that we work with. We encourage them, however far the game takes you, whatever you've learned, give back. And so we work on player development. We do we, we do video, video electronically um, around the country. And my brother is very uh, active in Atlanta, which is a haven for young um young black ball players. So we're, we're working to fill the pipeline. That's where it has to start. And the kids 10, 11, 12, uh, 12 years old uh, and on up to high school and potentially hopefully college. And, and if the talent and the graces of God are there, uh, perhaps into the professional ranks. Yeah. You know, I always say that baseball is God's sport. <laughs> so when we all go to heaven, mm-hmm. baseball is going to be played there. I mean, you think about the uh, whole paradigm of the game. <laughs> Hey, 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 let's say this: a guy who is a heck of a baseball player, played all his life, uh, and and a good friend of his past. Okay, but the guy was having a dream, and the and the dream, his his good friend came to him. He says, and in his dream, he says, "Hey, are they playing baseball up there?" He said, "Man, they sure are." He said, "Well, that's great." He said, "Yeah." He says, "You're the starting pitcher for tomorrow's game." <laughs> That is good. That's good. <laughs> now, you know, uh, the late, great uh, Joe Morgan, he was into oh, wow. getting more uh, black youngsters to play baseball, too, because he saw a decline in, in black youth not playing baseball. Mm-hmm. And he thought that it was kind of sad because, the, you know, they need to get into baseball because baseball really does give a gift uh, into someone's life. Keeps, keeps on, well, let's say this. You touch on a very sensitive core there. Joe Morgan, um, I'm from Oakland, California. And the baseball players out of Oakland, California, I'll just name them all. Uh, Frank 
Hamilton, Beta Pinson, Kurt Flood, Tommy Harper, uh, Willie Stargell, uh, Pumpsy Green, um, um, Joe Gaines, and Joe Morgan. And when we were when we were kids, now Joe is roughly was roughly four years older than than we were. But what would happen is during right before spring training, uh, the major league players, the Frank Robinson, the Beta Pinson, the Joe Gaines. Uh, they would all work out at Oakland Technical High School and right before spring training. And they, they let the kids come out. And we would run all afternoon shagging flies for these guys. And then after they're over, then we could just kind of sit around and listen. to. These. Now, these are the guys that you see on baseball on TV on Saturdays when the games are televised. And we had these guys open. Oakland was a hotbed. And Joe... Joe was just incredible. Yeah, Joe played on, well, we were playing youth baseball, so it would have been like Little League age. Joe played for a team called Babs Donuts, okay? <laughs> and my brother and I, we played for Downtown Optimus, okay? And all the kids wanted to play for Babs Donuts, although they had the worst uniforms. Their uniforms were um, brown color with yellow sleeves, okay? And... and we tell Joe, Joe, those uniforms are there. He says, yeah, but he says after every game, they take us to Babs Donuts, and we get chocolate milk and donuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> Joe, knew where, Joe knew where to play. So he was, <laughs> Joe was great. Gra- graduate of Castlemont High School, East Oakland. Uh, knew Joe really well, and it touched my heart when he passed. Boy, I tell you. Yeah, uh, I never met him, but just hearing, watching him and doing commentating on tv i was i felt like i was close to him then so it's like oh he knew the game Mm -hmm. he knew the game no question no question all right i'm gonna toss a couple of names at you and you tell me what you think about them okay all right um let's go with the late great don newcomb oh my goodness gracious hey don newcomb played don newcomb played the negro league see Mm -hmm. and don newcomb uh, still uh, one of the matriarchs and Von Joshua, a good friend of mine, would tell how inspirational Don Newcomb was to the Dodger family. You know, I mean, just uh, just an incredible competitor. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, Don Newcomb, then followed by the Bob Gibson. See, I mean, they were saying that same genre. They didn't take no mess. And if you tried to crowd that plate, I mean, you you know where it's coming, head high. Yeah, he was going to beam you up. Yeah, 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 no question. He's staged. <laughs> okay, uh, Frank Thomas. Big hurt. You know, it, it's interesting. You know, a big man like that had very short swing, okay? Didn't strike out a lot, and, and a lot of players can learn something from that. You ain't got to take that long swing. It's just how you get that back quickly, you get that bat in the zone. And uh, boy, I tell you, just an incredible hitter, um, well-deserved Hall of Famer, um, and uh, didn't get the World Series appearances, but uh, uh, just an incredible hitter and a great human being too. Uh huh. Um, let's see. Let's go with another one. Maury Wills. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Maury, um, my my grandson, uh, one of my grandsons, who's a pretty elite player. I went to a uh, MMA elite program, and one of the instructors was Maury Wills. And when he came back, he says, Pop, there was this guy, his name was Maury something, that was showing us how to run. I said, you mean Maury Wills? He said, well, yeah, yeah, that was him. I said, do you know who that guy was and what he did to, to get himself into the major leagues, switch hitting, uh, learning the art of hitting, and always being a, just a sweet fielder no question about it no question about it yeah great dodger yes sir uh this guy's not a dodger but i heard he was a great human being uh he was one of the best shortstops in major league history ernie banks oh boy well let's see you said shortstop a lot of people remember ernie as the first baseman because that's where he transitioned to mm-hmm. okay but the famous his famous thing was let's play two Let's play two. So, 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 let me tell you this. Uh, who was this telling me this? Um, 
a good friend of mine, uh, Sonny Jackson. Sonny played, uh, him and Joe Morgan played with the uh, Houston Astros, okay? 40, Colt 45. <laughs> so Sonny, Sonny is telling me about uh, one, one year they're playing, and uh, Bob Gibson was telling him about, uh, about playing in Wrigley Field, okay? And they said all the time, that they would hear this chatter. He would be talking stuff all the time. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you, Bob. I'm going to get two or three. And Gibson just got tired of it. And the first time up, just nailed it. Just <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> he said, that'll keep you, that'll keep you quiet. The next, next, next time they showed up at Wrigley Field, uh, he says, Ernie Banks walked by and didn't say nothing. How you doing, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is good. funny. Uh, yeah. He was a talker, though. He was a talker. But he, let's say this. He swung that bat like a violin. <laughs> Sweet chin music. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Oh, man, this, this is awesome. I, I am so happy I got to sit here and tell some good – and hear stories from you. It's awesome. Well, let's say this. I had to throw in Bob Gibson. See, Bob Gibson, I, I, I didn't meet him while he was playing. Mm-hmm. But in my corporate experience, he was coming out to San Francisco – uh, to do a fundraiser, him and his wife and his son. And uh, so we're picking him up at the San Francisco airport. And uh, one of my GM associates went to the went to the gate. That's when you could go to the gate. And uh, I was waiting out in the car. While I was waiting in the car, there was sports talk radio on, and the guy came on with a trivia question. He says, and I'm going to throw this at you. He says, uh, what three players, whether it be college or pro, average – Per season, average per game, 20 rebounds and 20 points. Woo! 10 rebounds, 20 points. Who, who do you think those three players are? Oh, College man. Pro? I would say one of them's Wilt Chamberlain. You got it. Um. Oh, boy. Uh, let's see. I, oh, man, that's tough. I was going to say one of them had to be either Elgin Baylor my goodness, man, you didn't hit two all two. <laughs> all right, now. Okay, now, hold up now. Now, you got two or two, and I'm talking about five answers. So, what? <laughs> okay, okay, so this is the deal. So, this is the deal. So, now Bob Gibson gets in the car, and I said, how you doing, Mr. Gibson? How are you, Mrs. Gibson? Da, 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 da. I says, uh, Bob, I said, they just had this trivia question on sports here, and um, and average 20 points uh, and 20 rebounds per game. I said, yeah, who that could have been? He says, well, I would say DeWilt. He says, and probably Elgin Bader. I said, man, you're right on. I said, any idea on the third one? He says, uh, well, I don't know. I said, how about you? He said, yeah, I could have done it. I could have done it. Yeah, crazy. I could have done it. <laughs> you, know, he played, you know he played a season for the Globetrotters. Yes, he was years. awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Baseball players can transition to any sport. Yeah. Yeah. They're good athletes. They have to be. No question. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me personally, I think baseball players are the best athletes on the, on the field. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's say this, the game is changing and uh, analytics is you can put a, a, a not so much athletic person uh, into a shift. Okay. And, uh, and, and that will help him out. But as Lindor, who just was traded to the Mets, said, mm-hmm. he says, put me where I have the ability to show up. He says, let me pay my position and let my instincts take over. And I think that's where it has to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll name a base stealer for you. Mr. Henderson. Ricky Henderson. Yes, sir. A man. You know, you know let's say this. You know, Ricky talks about Ricky. In the third round, <laughs> Ricky said this, and Ricky said, "Ricky said he gonna get three tonight." Ricky said, yeah. "Ricky is just now, you know. Again, he's from Oakland, from hometown, and he, Ricky, played for my uncle, uh, they, who raised him a lot of kids in Oakland in baseball. They called him Pa Best, and anybody listening knows who Pa Best was. So Ricky played in Oakland in the sand lots of Oakland, came up." And just as in the, uh, yeah. Uh huh. Ricky holds the, the uh, record for leadoff home runs. 
Okay, still. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a lot of pop. Okay. And needless to say, um, his quickness, but it's just his total knowledge of the game, uh, figuring pitchers out and nuances. Uh, you know, some of that just can't teach. And Ricky had it all. He had no question about it. Yeah. Ricky was Ricky. Third, talk to, he talked to Ricky. You know, Ricky can get it done. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Let's go for. Uh, Mr. October himself. Well, let's say this. Reggie, uh, see, Reggie played in uh, in Fairbanks, Alaska. Okay. Um, same for the Gold Panthers where my brother and I played. And boy, i tell you something. Uh, Reggie, quick bat, uh, not a long swing, get to the ball extremely quick. Okay. But there, I don't think there's ever been a player uh, that has the dramatics for um, the mm-hmm. our star games World Series. I mean, you, you, that's the guy you want to have at the plate. I mean, that that ball he hit in at Tiger Stadium, I believe, it was in the All Star game, off of the light stanchion. If it wouldn't hit the light stanchion, it'd be out of Tiger, the old Tiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible, incredible power. Okay, just incredible power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mr. October, no question. <laughs> he showed up in October a lot. All right, here's oh, one. Yeah. I got I have one more for you. The great Derek Jeter. Derek, no, let's say this. There's not a whole lot of major league players came out of Michigan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to tell you something. Derek came in um, perfect build for a shortstop, great athletic skills. But he had he he figured out real quick uh, that if he could develop a swing to get his bat into the hitting plane and to be able to guide the ball uh, to right center, and then he was quick enough that if a pitcher thought that he could come in and jam him, he had tremendous hands. I mean, hands like he turned on that pitch and he did a rocket to left field. But he developed. He developed a hitting style. You can't teach his hitting. Mm-hmm. And I teach hitting and getting the bat in the plane quickly, but not necessarily moving your hands where you can move that ball uh, to right center and move that ball around. Uh, plus his instincts in the field. I mean, he, he was he was mm-hmm. No question about it. That play, that play that he made, I believe it was in the playoffs, where he was out of position. But he apparently instinctively knew that the first baseman was not in position to make the cutoff. So his position on that would have been to line up the throw to go to third base. He came down past the pitcher's mound, the overthrow of the cutoff man at first base, flipped it underhand sideways to the catcher. You, mm-hmm. you just you can't teach that. I mean, that's that's what he is. I mean. Just his instincts were just incredible. That's amazing. You just mentioned that right now, and I saw that play a couple of weeks ago in MLB's Greatest Plays. It was still in the top mm-hmm. fifty. Um, right. That and and Derek Jeter, that guy wasn't. He's an athlete. He was an athlete. Oh yeah, no question. Um, no question. All right, now we're gonna go to a couple of my guys, Davy Lopes. Oh my goodness. Well, see, I told Davy. Davey took my place in the amateur draft. Okay. Let's <laughs> say And I, I kidded Dave when Davey was with the Dodgers and my good friend Vaughn, uh, they were down in Vero Beach at spring training. We all went up and had pizza. And I would tell him that story. He said, oh, man, you ain't, you, that ain't that. I said, no, no, that ain't is the case. That is the case. Red Adams, the scout, signed you uh, out of, um, I think he was out of Minneapolis, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, Davey, um, Needless to say, an incredible base dealer, a good hands, had a lot of pop. I don't remember exactly how many home runs, but uh, let's say this. If the pitcher got a little sloppy on the inner part of the plate, they could take it out. No question about it. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. yeah, he was that good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, I know you uh, probably know about the young kid uh, on the Dodgers. His name is uh, Corey Seager. Um, uh-huh. He said, he said that um, he used to love talking to uh, Don Newcomb after every game. And mm-hmm. he said, 
he felt like he's like an old soul in a young man's body because he just like he was drawn to Don. And I think that I think that's where Corey Seager gets his discipline from. Like he loves like the old school baseball players. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it, yeah. It, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Cal Ripken. Mm-hmm. And in that um, very steady. Now I know he had some. He's had some injury issues, but I, and I I don't see him finishing his career at short. I see him moving over to third. Me too. But uh, yeah, but but boy, does he have the tools? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he is he is a mainstay. And 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 the, the fellow they got third base, they need to keep him as long as he wants to play. Oh, Turner. Oh, Turner's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so I, I think the nucleus uh, for the Dodgers uh, right now, they've got the right players. They, they've developed their pitching now. Uh, so I think, you know, hopefully we like to see black managers in the World Series. That's the uh, <laughs> That's what I like to see. Me too. <laughs> me too. Like to and it'll be hard. It'll be hard for me to root. But I got to tell you this. I was very disappointed when the Dodgers went to the World Series a few times and uh, we got knocked down. But this is where I drew the line on this. And I told a lot of my friends and I've told my uh, family members this. I said, you know who the Dodgers are missing in this World Series? And they're like, who? I said, come on, my guy, number five, Corey Seager. They're like, oh, you just like him because he's wearing number five and your your birthday's in May. I said, that too, but I'm telling you, he is the key to the team winning the World Series, and he proved it. Right, right, right. Well, let's say this. The, the, let's say you got to get there first. Okay? Mm-hmm. And when the Dodgers were getting there, and, and, and you got to get there first. And when we got there this last time, uh, although short in the season, uh, still, the intensity was there. I thought it was. I thought uh, it was well done, and they bought it home. No question about it. They bought it home. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about uh, Dave Roberts? Well, D- Dave. Dave manages like he plays. Like mm-hmm. he plays. I mean, he was. I mean, he played hard. He was aggressive. Okay, um, he's not going to ask anybody on that club to do something that he wouldn't have done while mm-hmm. he was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and the same thing with, with Dusty. Both of them, they have a similar uh, relationship with their players. Players love to play for these guys mm-hmm. because they understand the pressure they're on. The game is changing, um, but the players love to play for them. And and, and they they know dealing with uh, a long season like that is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think uh, right guy, right spot. No question. Yeah. I, and it's funny. I'm like, these guys are a couple of generations apart, but I tell you, they have similar ways of doing, uh, managing the game. Mm-hmm. It's amazing mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And they're yeah. both good upstanding gentlemen. And that's, and that's the best part about it. Oh yeah. No question. No question. And that's what baseball needs. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. No question. So now we've talked about the guys in sports. We talked about the book. We talked about baseball, which was, well, 96% of the <laughs> podcast, but uh, this is my, it's my favorite. And, uh, Mike, Mike strain, he told me that he was going to get me you. And I said, cool. I said, bring it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my nephew. That's my nephew. Okay. He's an incredible human being. I got to tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you you love to see the young you you love to see the young living out their passion, and that's what he's doing. He's living out his passion. Mm-hmm. And, and his wife uh, actually kind of manages a lot of stuff that I do, so um, it, it's really awesome. Um, when I got connected with them, I didn't know what I was in for, but man, when I met when I met them face to face, it was just like two thumbs up all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. That is great. Mm-hmm. It's that is great. And so what's next up for you since uh, you've written a book? Well, hey, you can't just write one book. you got to write at least two. Oh, cool, cool. So good, I've good. Got, How I've, about you write about I've ten more it. so we can talk some more? <laughs> well, let's say this. My sequel, I'll give you the title. It's called Blueprint. Oh. And uh, I don't know if I'll, – I'll, I'll tell you how, how I write. One second. Okay. He's going to tell me how he writes, everybody. Here's 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 my spider-gram. All right. Wow. Oh, Every scene 
and every character is on this spider brain. Wow. And so what I do is I put it there and, uh, and typically let the ideas flow uh, before I actually start putting it in book form. Uh, but mm-hmm. the book is laid out here. And it, it, is, it is a sequel of the Jersey. Oh, nice. Uh, even more intrigued um, uh, with, uh, it, it, uh, let's say this. If you if you love a mystery story, uh-huh. a whodunit, and a masterful uh, solving of the mystery, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with list with a lot of things that are going. Uh, for example, are are you familiar with uh, the term is called neuro uh, neuro implants? Yes, yes, yes. Neuro implants. Okay, and so I get into neuro implants and what what's happening the good thing and the not so good thing with neural implants. Mm-hmm. So uh, it takes the story in, into an interesting point. Yeah. So and I'm working on that, uh-huh. I'm working on, it's called the brain. So look for it. Also, yes. also, if anyone in the audience, okay, has a screenplay writer, okay, I've had a screenplay written uh, for the Jersey. Uh, it's not exactly what I like at this point. But I certainly would like to collaborate with someone on a screenplay for the Jersey. It is, I think, um, it is very um, theatrical in the way of the characters, uh, solid characters, and I just think it'd make a heck of a movie. I so think I'm so looking, too. Looking to collaborate uh, with someone uh, to develop the screenplay uh, for the Jersey. So those those are the things that are on my high point. Nice. You know what I think your next venture should be. No, <laughs> and I just thought about it right now as, as as I'm listening to you and we're speaking for this whole hour. I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? He should write a book, uh, something around the title of Play by Play, and, and you could talk about the guy that should be on the Mount Rushmore of baseball broadcasting, Vin Scully. Oh my goodness gracious, Vin Scully! Oh, you could see one thing. When I was traveling with General Motors in my early years, I'd do a lot of driving. Mm-hmm. And when you could get a ball game on, I could I could listen to a triple header of Vince Scully. Me too. Because I mean, in my mind's eye, the game is going on. Okay. So, uh, yeah, boy, I tell you, uh, Vince and all the players uh, uh, that were with the Dodgers and the relationship they had with Vince and, uh, boy, I tell you, just, in, just, just incredible. Just mm-hmm. incredible. No, no question about it. But yeah, um, let's say this. That that would probably be a really good book to write, okay? But I'd have to lean on you to help me do that. Okay. <laughs> you got me. You got me. 100%. Yeah, we, 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 we can collaborate on that. Yeah. yeah. No and you know, one of the people that Vince Scully had a really close-knit relationship with out of all of the ball players was Jackie Robinson. Mm, yeah. Well, let's say this, uh, Jackie Robinson, what he had, what he went through and see, uh, the, the subtitle of my book. Okay. The Jersey, the subtitle is this, the mysterious, the mistress, the mystery disappearance of Bill White, America's baseball's first Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. So I give Jackie all the credence. Okay taking nothing away from Jackie because what he went through and, and see Jackie uh, was an accomplished football player, accomplished basketball player, accomplished track person. Okay. Military uh, uh, person. I mean, what, what Jackie's life was before he even got into the Negro leagues for the quick minute. And then on with the Dodger organization, uh, just, just incredible what he was able to accomplish. So, um, I want to tell you something. Uh, Jackie was, he was great. He was great. Mm -hmm. And can I, and can I just say this to the young people out there today? You have nothing to complain about because people like Jackie Robinson and Mr. White paved the way for you already. They paid that price for you. No question. No question. Mm -hmm. No question. Yeah. Good message. Good message. Absolutely. And you are helped. You're still helping pave the way for the future for all of us. And this is awesome. Let's say this. I'm trying to give back 
and uh, we work. I look at videos of hitters all the time, and uh, we analyze it, send it back to the players, give them some drills. So we do that, and if they're in a town where we're at, uh, where my brother is in Atlanta, he does private instructions. Okay. Bird Strain. You can check him out. Just go to YouTube, Bird Strain, and you'll see some great videos on some things he's done with a lot of young players. Hey, we're going to have some players in the major leagues. We're yeah. going to have to have you and Bird on at the same time one of these days. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we can, you're going to have to get two hours for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. We could go all day if we have to. I got time. All right. I got time for all you guys. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, right. Mr. Al Strain, and you can check out his brand new book. That's right. His brand new book, The Jersey. We didn't tell you everything about the book because we want you to pick it up right now. It's available for purchase right now and they can also go to your website please let them know it again that's alvinstrain.com alvinstrain.com i have my own bookstore there you can order the book i'll autograph it and you can rest assured i'll be the one to put it at the post office for you <laughs> you know you so my, my producer my producer money bins in the background he's like hey man make sure we get a book <laughs> i hear you Yes, sir. And you have been listening to The Kennel right here on Podbean.com. God bless you all. Love one another. And we will see you soon. See you real soon, sucker.